0: Uh, So what we're doing here now, starting in January, is looking at a new series um, uh, that we're sort of calling Five Essential Nutrients, um, Embracing uh, God's Plan for Spiritual Growth, and really just sort of asking the question, uh, as a church we have sort of two passions, and these are things that we've received really from the Lord, uh, looking back to... um, uh, the the book of Matthew and the and the Great Commission, how it's expressed there, that we want to go out into the, all the world uh, and and reach people for Him, and two we want to disciple people. We want people to grow deeper in their relationship with Him. And there's just a real question like for us, like how do we do that, and what does that really mean? What does that mean for you as a person to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus? What does that mean uh, to become somebody who is uh, spiritually mature, somebody who is uh, following Him in a new way? Some of us have been Christians. Uh, for a long time, uh, and maybe some, just raise your hand if you've arrived at ma- spiritual maturity. Um, oh, Jim has. Jim has, so that's great. Has achieved full maturity in the spirit. Thank you, Jim, so much. So really, we can just cancel this talk now, and everybody could just hang with Jim, and, uh, and 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 you'll grow all the way, which is fantastic. Um, <coughs> So there's you know what does that actually what does it even mean? So what we're actually going to do today is just simply start before we get into our five things simply start with the question, you know, what does what does spiritual maturity uh, actually look like? Like what does it look like to be spiritually mature? Is it uh, having a lot of bible knowledge? Is it having good theological understanding? That might be part of it. Is it having uh, strong moral behaviors, being through some of the struggles with uh, with our, our morality, uh, overcoming sin in our lives? Is it about having evangelistic fervor? Is it about uh, having spiritual giftedness, being able to move in the gifts of the Spirit and, and do uh, the things that God's calling us to there? Uh, is it uh, arriving at a place where you become uh, a leader in the church? Is that what makes you uh, spiritually mature? And if you sort of of ask all those questions or even if you isolate those things, you could say, hey, I know somebody who knows a lot about the Bible, but they just beat me up with it all the time. Right? So Bible knowledge doesn't quite equal spiritual maturity all by itself. Uh, theological understanding, well I had a professor in in school who had great theological understanding, but I probably wouldn't sit under his teaching, you know, if I if I was or 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 follow him. Uh, you know like like he 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 understands the theology which is super important part of the picture but he didn't have the whole thing is it is somebody who's really strong morally and has a really good sense of what the quote-unquote rules are. Is that someone who's spiritually mature? Uh, If you look at any one of these things in isolation, you can say you probably know somebody or you've experienced a time in your life when you felt like maybe you've had that thing under your belt. You felt like, yeah, I really do. I've grown in in my understanding of the scriptures. I've got that, but I still don't know if I feel 100% equipped to to do life. There's something more that I need to do. There's something more that I, I, I need to grow in. What does spiritual maturity look like? I thought maybe just uh, just as part of that exercise of asking that question and trying to figure it out, it might be cool to look at a, a person. How many of you have heard of Corey Tenboom. Right? Uh, if, you're, if you've been in Christianity for a long time, you'll have heard of this woman. She was a, a survivor of Uh, The Holocaust in in Holland, she's the daughter of a watchmaker. Their family hid Jewish people in their home uh, to protect them from being arrested and sent into concentration camps. Um, Ultimately, they were caught and found out, and she and her family were interred in Ravensbrück, uh, which is is a concentration camp that was in Holland and endured incredibly painful, difficult circumstances uh, in that place, um, in the uh, in the Second World War, uh, just just incredible pain. She she experienced the death of her parents and the death of her sister in that place. They endured uh, incredible hardship um, with, with incredible, for her positivity, she was the only survivor of her family. And as she tells her story later in life through a couple of books that she wrote, um, The Hiding Place and a book called Tramp for the Lord, uh, we see in this woman somebody who endured an incredibly difficult circumstance and managed to be an incredibly bright light in in a very very difficult place and when I think about spiritual maturity you know one of the things I think about is is somebody like that somebody like uh, like Corey Ten, Ten Boom, who survived this this incredibly difficult place with a kind of a brightness and a joy and, and a way of of seeing life that was just incredible. These are some of the things that she said, having come out of that circumstance in the books that she wrote. Uh, These are just some of her classic quotations. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. That's worth something, (laughs) right? Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. Well, that's tweetable, <laughs> and maybe applicable. There's something that that I can learn there as a person who carries stress and worry. Imagine the stress and worry of trying to survive life in a in a concentration camp in the Second World War. Uh, this uh, this third quote here is something that she wrote in her second book um, that that speaks to uh, forgiveness. Ultimately, later in her life, she met. The person who was actually sort of the most harsh and the most difficult uh, person in that concentration camp—the guard that that tormented them more than anybody—and she said this about uh, her coming to a place of being able to forgive this person. She said, "Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart." Oh man. Forgiveness isn't just what we feel, isn't just the ability to gain that feeling. There's something about our choice and our decision in that. And she, like, imagine coming to a place of forgiveness for the person who persecuted you and your parents in a concentration camp and literally walked your your sister to death. Imagine that. That sounds like spiritual maturity to me. Let God's promise shine on your problems. So there's spiritual maturity. And and in that and in her story is actually a a picture of some depth of faith that is absolutely unbelievable. Kind of an unshakable ness. To her and to who she was uh, in incredibly difficult circumstances, there's something about it that's endurance. And that's actually what we see in the scriptures when we think about spiritual maturity. Uh, Because we can think of all kinds of different things, Uh, spiritual maturity might be operating in our gifts, or might be other things like that, which are actually all good things, but it's actually, when we we examine these scriptures, it's actually about having unshakable faith and a radical commitment to fulfill uh, the purposes of God that really uh, make make it work for us. So let's just examine some of the scriptures uh, with, with just simply the word maturity in them, and we're going to talk about some of those definitions and, uh, and unpack some of this together. Uh, let's look at uh, the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles with you uh, or you have an app, you can pull that open or it's on the screen for you there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 14. Let's just read this together. Actually, let me pray before we read the scriptures. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Uh, we 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 don't read this this your word like blithely or or uh, without some reverence and respect and sense of gratitude, Lord, that you gave us your word and you wrote it down for us through people. We we treasure it. We treasure your word, and we ask that uh, it would do something transformative in us. We know that there's a way in which it works, that uh, that it makes us new. It rewrites our minds. it it rewrites our worldview, it, it changes us. And so we just open ourselves to that transformation. We receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter four, verse eleven to fourteen. So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, or, sorry, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So that the body of christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of god and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of christ then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and the passage goes on uh, what i love about this passage is well one i mean the first thing i i notice i observe i see that you know my title is in there i'm a pastor <laughs> Um so there's some instruction for me in there. My my calling isn't uh isn't to be a, a professional minister, a spiritual functionary. Uh, my, my purpose, my calling as a person is to be somebody who's an, an equipper. As I read that passage uh, that challenged me personally, am I focused on actually empowering and equipping people to be ministers or to doing all of the ministry myself? So just a just a, a wake-up call for me as I read that is a passage that I have to be invested as a person in empowering and equipping others. That's what God called me for. Uh, but all of that until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. What does he mean by that? Until we all reach unity in the faith. Uh, When he unpacked that word unity, what he's really talking about there is until we all reach a common status or a common level in the faith so there's spiritual unity where we're all in agreement with one another and we're all kind of getting along that's a part of what the passage talks about but what he's talking about is is our our goal our mission our purpose as a church as a community and and my role as a pastor as a leader is to see that we all grow to a level of maturity together that there's there's something that we're trying to attain, something we're trying to grow to, something that we're trying to reach together. There's there's somewhere that we're headed together. So we've reached unity in the faith, in, in our belief about who God is and what he's about and his place in our lives and knowledge of the Son of God. So now he's talking about a knowing, a relationship, an intimacy, a, a depth of personal connection with the person of Jesus Christ. So both knowledge about him Uh, knowing something having that solid understanding of who he is in our lives and secondarily uh, but I think not really secondarily in importance but having an actual personal relationship with him uh, a knowledge of him and how many of you know that there's there's actually a difference between those two things right you can you can know all kinds of things about God but you can not know God you cannot have a, a freedom in prayer with him or an intimacy in relationship, or you can have a sense of relationship with God and know him, but not really know uh, about him or, or understand you know, from a theological perspective or from a biblical perspective, what does it mean to actually know the creator of the universe? We're called to find both of those things, the experiential and, and the knowledge and the understanding. Um and, and then it says, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And I think what that does is points us back to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And love your neighbors yourself, being whole and complete people who know him, that word maturity. And we're going to talk about the definition of that in a minute. But We're going to just look at another instance of the use of that word in the book of James, and this one sounds not super fun. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So maturity has something to do with trials wait a second i can't learn that in a class can i take an online course on that (laughs) well actually for me to take an online course that could be a bit of a trial how many of you would that would find that (laughs) would find that a trial right Uh, just a trial all on its own but uh there's something about uh god's process for maturing us and growing us that just happens along the way along the journey of life right there's something about maturity that, that comes as we walk down the road. That comes through through that kind of uh, uh, well. I mean, I mean, James knew all about trials, right? We know. Do you know the story of James, one of the apostles, Jesus' cousin, uh, brother of one of the like one of the twelve apostles? Yeah, they all died. <laughs> Gruesome deaths. But James understood uh, that kind of journey that challenge. So there's something about it that, that, uh, that is, is found in the experience. Let's go on Philippians. And this is really, really interesting. Um, it's a bit of an extended passage. I'm going to read it and just make a few comments. We're going to go through uh, six verses here. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. To give us context, this is Paul talking about uh, in the book of Philippians, hey, salvation comes by faith in Jesus. Right? Righteousness comes completely and wholly through having faith in Jesus, through having a relationship with him, believing who he is, right? So so righteousness is not a religion. Righteousness is not if I do these things, then Jesus will love me and save me, right? We know that salvation isn't about that. Salvation is a gift that comes from us. We receive it. Uh, The incredible thing that he does for us on the cross uh, as a pure gift. There's nothing that we can do to earn it, but Paul goes on and says this. To be found in him, having a righteous of my own uh, that comes from, not from the law, but which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then he goes on to say this, because there's more to life than just knowing Jesus and having saving faith. He says this, he says, I want to know Christ, yes, know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Wait a minute, that doesn't sound like something else I could take in a class either. (laughs) Becoming like him in his death. I want to know his resurrection, the power of it, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Uh, What in the world? That's something seriously for us to unpack theologically. Uh, What does resurrection have to do with our works, have to do with... um, suffering, all of that sort of stuff. He goes on, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. So Paul who has received righteousness by faith in Jesus is still pressing on to something. If you've received righteousness from Jesus, he has saved you. He has done something amazing in your life you're still pressing on to something. Take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it yet. And this is the most spiritually mature person that I think we could possibly imagine, the Apostle Paul. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which god has called me heavenward in christ jesus and then he says this all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things so paul's view of maturity is having the understanding that you're not done yet (laughs) that's paul's definition of maturity Paul's definition of maturity is that he, as a person, is still in a process of growing and trying to attain uh, something in his relationship with Jesus, a knowing of Jesus, uh, an understanding of who Jesus is that actually uh, leads him forward. And and then he just puts this little thing uh, on on side. He says, "And, and if on some point you think differently about that, well, that too God will make clear to you. And Paul puts that whole process of discipleship firmly in the hands of God. Right? Uh, How do you grow? How do I figure this out? How do I become a new person? Uh, How do I get from being a person who thinks, yeah, I've got it together, I'm mature, I've grown, I've arrived, I have this. But when you recognize, yeah, I actually don't have this. There's something more for me to grow in and something more for me to learn in. And, oh, by the way, God will just make it clear to me. So so that's a big thing for us, right? And am I as a human being committed to letting God grow me? Am I committed to God transform me? Am I committed to Him making... Uh, Uh, What I wanted to do is just pull a definition of that word maturity and talk a little bit about uh, what is sort of common to the use of that word through all of those passages. Uh, The word is a Greek word named uh, called teleos, and and just just from a Strong's definition perspective, what it means is it's a consummated goal, something that's reached its end uh, from going through the necessary stages to reach the end goal developed into a consummating completion by fulfilling the necessary process. Arriving at maturity is a process. Arriving at maturity is a, is a journey. Arriving at a place of maturity, uh, which for myself, I think it probably will come, you know, after I'm dead. <laughs> right right you know when, when somebody rolls me out of a room in a pine box that's when uh, that's when when maturity will have arrived for me in my life because up to that point if you're like me I think I think I think if you're like Paul there's there's something of process in there remember you have salvation you have a righteousness that comes through faith, you are allowed in the presence of God. And that sense of acceptance and that sense of salvation, that sense of uh, a positional a belonging to the Lord, what's, what that does for you is actually opens the door to the whole rest of the journey. The whole rest of the journey uh, of coming to a place of maturity. And for Paul, maturity is recognizing that I'm still trying to figure this out. So what I, what I, the question we asked really at the beginning is what, is, what is spiritual maturity? What does it look like? In order to mature spiritually, we engage in a process of coming to know Christ in a way that's characterized by enduring faith. That Remember that piece that we talked about, uh, about perseverance? Enduring faith which propels us forward into a radical commitment to imitate him and to join him in his mission. I think that's what maturity is. Based on those passages we've read, based on about the three or four others I looked at that we didn't read, Uh, there's one that we're going to look at in a second. There's something about that uh, journey of maturity which, which, which is filled with a passion to know Jesus in a way that brings us to a place of no longer being tossed back and forth by the waves, uh, of being in a place of solid and deep and rich connection to him. And out of that solid, enduring faith, we radically live to be like him and to join him in his mission. How many of you have arrived at this now? Right? We've got so far to go and so much to learn, and such an incredible, amazing journey ahead for us. Second Peter uh, chapter one says this. He says, "For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness." So remember, you've got this faith piece already, right? You've got this acceptance piece already. You've got this righteousness already because of your faith in Christ. Add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, add knowledge, and to knowledge, add self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, add love. Now, we're talking process language, one thing after another. We're on this incredible process. We have so much to learn. Where, where are we at in this? Are we wrestling with self-control? Are we wrestling with perseverance? Are we wrestling with godliness or holiness? Are we wrestling to love uh, the other humans and to feel like, I, I love this language, and, and I unpack this a little bit in the Greek, uh, mutual affection, to actually have something in you that, that cares about people from the heart. Like, a, like a, a draw, a love, a, an actual care for people. And Peter goes on to say this, says, for if you possess all these qualities, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, and I love that he uses that, right? Again, he's talking process language. It's not like we got them checked off in a box, right? In increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus. The knowledge that you have of Jesus, the relationship that you have with him, that savedness, that righteousness that you have through faith in Christ is meant to produce a productiveness, a fruit-bearing, an effectiveness. And that's what Paul was striving for. Not that I've attained that yet. Paul's passionate about the mission. He's out there, he's planting churches, he's passionate about reaching people and caring for people. And so that leaves us really with the question, if if that's our definition of spiritual maturity, having that uh, growing knowledge of Jesus Christ that becomes rock solid and then ultimately propels us into mission, how how do we get that? Right? how do we how do we get that how do we get that as a people how do we facilitate growth like that as a church how do we do that in our home churches and in sunday morning uh how do we structure ourselves around that what nutrients or catalysts does god use to achieve this in our lives and how do we embrace those things and uh and and this will be the subject for the rest of the series um, how do we embrace these things that are, that are growth catalysts for us? Um, what, I, what I did in terms of finding structure for what those, those looked like was I, I completely stole a structure from Andy Stanley. Uh, just, just so you know, because he's smarter than I and he has large teams of people uh, working on this. And, uh, and so, you can actually go learn this from a podcast from him, and you can skip church for the next five weeks if you want, but, uh, but I think it will be fun for us to process all of this together. Um, but the way, the way he processed it, and the way his team sort of arrived at, at these sort of things, one, obviously there that are things that are pretty scriptural, but, uh, but if you talk to your friend, like, like if I take this list away, and I ask you this question, Okay, so can you think about a time in your life when you really were growing spiritually as a person? And I was going to stick those things up on, on, on a sheet. I guarantee if we did a little exercise with sticky notes, that everything that you say will fit in those five categories. Right? Because there are times in our lives when uh, there are different things that grow us. Uh, One, uh, connecting with practical biblical teaching is something that obviously grows us. It's a piece of the picture for us. How many of you wrestle with personal spiritual disciplines? Could we use a little teaching on that? (laughs) I know i know i could uh, you know what as i was thinking about this one about practical biblical teaching i was thinking th- everybody in the congregation is gonna be like oh brother we're gonna have to listen to another sermon on why the bible is important how many of you are like boring now let me ask the question how many of you memorized a verse from the scriptures in the last month <laughs> Yo. Linda give Linda a big hand we have one person who memorized right Um, so what I actually in terms of that talk what we're gonna talk about and not next week because we have Larry Levy coming to speak from Halifax Metro Vineyard which is gonna be fantastic to have him up here but one of the sermons I've wanted to do for a long time is I have wanted to do a sermon on how to listen to a sermon (laughs) how to live through a sermon a sermon on how to listen to a sermon. Uh, how, how do we have a posture uh, uh, of learning and growing uh, in, in, a te- in teaching environments, whether it's something you're picking up online somewhere, uh, whether it's something you're watching on YouTube, whether it's coming here on Sunday mornings? Uh, how do I actually, where can I find some really good biblical teaching beyond the Sunday morning context? Um, and how, can I, how do I actually have a posture that helps me actually learn? Because we have all kinds of different filters when we're listening to a sermon, right? Like, some of us have this filter. I'm going to be really excited about this sermon if uh, it jives with what I believe. I'm going to be really excited about this sermon if it jives with what I believe. So what can you learn from that posture? If the only thing that you're going to connect with is the thing that you've already got. Right? That's not a filter. That was a great sermon. I totally agreed with the preacher on that. You're not gonna learn anything. So what's a posture of picking up the things you disagree with, the things that challenge you, the things that that don't connect with you, and how do you position yourself to be in a learning space when that's going on? How do we find a posture of learning? Uh, Personal uh, spiritual disciplines, experience in ministry and service. You guys know as well as I do that you learn when you're kicked into the deep end of the pool, right? right you learn when you're required to serve we're going to talk about how that can work Uh, serendipitous relationships and these first three things are things that we can sort of facilitate in our lives but these last two are things that that we actually in some ways don't have control about how many of you can think about times when you've really grown when God's just sent somebody in your life uh, who can speak into your life and who knows more than you know and you didn't have anything to do with finding that person right We've got to put ourselves in places where uh, we can connect with those people. That's part of what home church is about, is helping to facilitate those deeper relationships where we can connect with people who are going to help us grow. And the the fifth, and I said this in the nicest way, catalytic circumstances, which is code for suffering and trial. (laughs) 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 But truth be told, how do we go through suffering and trial and challenge in ways that are going to grow us rather than embitter us and break us? And hurt us. And so those are going to be the things we're going to talk about over the next weeks of the series and really hopefully be learning together how can we be people uh, like Christ who are moving forward and growing spiritually in a a deep and, and a new way. How do we reboot spiritual growth for us as a community and how do we do it for us as individuals? How many of you want to grow? Let's stand up. Lord, I want to grow, I need to grow. I confess that, uh, like Paul, uh, I have not attained it yet. And we just confess that together, Father, we have not attained it yet. We have not attained it yet. We're so grateful for where you've brought us. We're so grateful for what you've taught us. You've done amazing things in our lives. and We are so thankful, and we're just hungry to, to grow and to know more. Would you uh, cause us to be people who uh, invest in this, who pour ourselves out for it, who, as Paul did, strive for it, that we may come to uh, a consummation um, of knowing you in a way that makes us people of enduring faith, in a way that makes us people who are more and more passionate about the imitation of you and who are more and more committed to your mission. Grow us up, Lord, we pray. We love you. We worship you. Take our lives and do what you want with us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Cool. God bless you.